Geil. Thank you so much. My fragile ego needs that. It's good to see everybody in one spot, isn't it? And so weird too, right? Uh, but I, me likey. Um, well, today, um, what I'm going to do is, if you don't have a chance to see fireworks, watch these screens. Look at that. Oh. Let's do it. Let's do it again. Ready? Bam. There you go. You don't have to brave the traffic, deal with any of the stuff. You saw it here. I did fireworks at the service. It was amazing. <laughs> oh, happy 4th of July. I'm even wearing my... Um, Captain America socks. Feeling very, very festive today. Um, actually, today, what I wanted to do was uh, pay attention to where we live and what God's doing here. And the way I'm going to do it is we've been talking about praying for a long time now, the lifestyle of Jesus, and, and using these four categories that really Pete Gregg sees in... Um, his book, How to Pray, that is in the Lord's Prayer of, of pausing, kind of collecting ourselves before we pray, rejoicing, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and then asking, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us as we forgive others. Um, and then yielding, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we're going we're gonna to actually take this and apply this to the 4th of July. Okay, so how does that work? Okay, well, we're, we'll see. We'll see. I actually think it's really relevant. And actually to do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a review of a teaching I did, um, uh, well, back in November, I think it was, um, when we were still talking about the kingdom of God, because I felt like before we go, we're actually going to pray this morning together. Uh, but before we go into it, I felt like it was really important to frame it appropriately. Okay, and, and, and so what I'll ask, Father, is that um, your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven in us as your people and through us. So we can dem demonstrate the beautiful order of God here on the earth right now. So I'm going to talk about the kingdom just a little bit. Um, and we did, you know, you might remember we did a pretty long series on the kingdom last year. And so I'm going to review this thing and then we'll get to praying. Um, so when we talked about the kingdom of God, that we just did kind of a who, what, when, where, why kind of thing. And so we said, what, what is the kingdom of God? It's just simply this idea of God's cross-shaped government. They, what I mean by that is God being in charge of the universe and the way in which he wields power is, is most clearly explained by the cross of Jesus. That's the way he wields his power. And so the idea of the kingdom of God is God, not just in a spiritual kind of way or just a churchy kind of way, but literally running the universe. We saw at the very outset in the Garden of Eden, God's kingdom is fully intact. But then his subjects rebelled against him. And that's kind of put us in the spot we're in right now. 
right? But we talked about the whole idea of the kingdom unfolding is that, that God is inviting through Jesus Christ people back under his leadership. And that will, that those who do that actually enjoy the benefits of being under his leadership. So the question, who will be in the kingdom? The first one is Jesus. This is a big, big deal. This is what our whole service was about so far. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's strangely easy to leave Jesus out of his kingdom for some reason. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? One way I know it is I can tell if Jesus is not in his kingdom for me is by my level of fear and anxiety. Because I'm afraid when I think things are going to fall to pieces... And things are going to go bad when I kind of got this underlying idea that nothing's going to work out. And by that, I'm realizing, oh, I'm not really believing Jesus is in charge of the universe and I'm in his kingdom. Because I'm one of his loyal subjects that submitted to his cross-shaped government. That's who is in the kingdom. This is really important. It's only those who submit to Jesus as king. Only those who submit to Jesus as king. In other words, he doesn't make us do it. He's not a dictator. Does that make sense? I've been reading some really interesting stuff by a guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was part of the Soviet Union and was in the gulag prisons. They had a different way of doing power than Jesus. It was like, submit or we'll shoot you in the back of the head, you know? But Jesus says, You don't have to follow me, but that means you're going to be outside of my kingdom. Make sense? But he says, you can have what you want. You really can have what you want. You don't want to be in the kingdom. You don't have to be. But so it's loyal subjects that Jesus, you are my king. You are running the universe. You're, you're the boss. You're my boss. So who will be in the kingdom? When will the kingdom come? This is really important because right now the king himself has come to earth. Jesus Christ has come. He was exalted on the cross. He was lifted up as king, wearing a crown nobody expected. Think about cross-shaped leadership. His crown was thorns thugged into his head. Wearing a crown nobody expected. And then was exalted to the right hand of God because he was raised from the dead. So something has broken into the world. In Jesus, in his resurrection, his body itself is the coming kingdom that is actually stronger than death itself. So the king, the kingdom of God has come to the earth because the king came. But the king isn't here yet. He's still giving people the opportunity. Do you want to submit to my rule and reign? Do you want to? Because the, the scriptures tell us that by Revelation 21, 22, the king will return and set everything right. So where is the kingdom? Well, right now, it, it's going to be the new creation. So in the future, everything will be fixed. Everything will be like it's supposed to be. We all have that sense that there's something wrong, right? Mosquitoes. There's something wrong in the world. Like, this doesn't make any sense. We'll feel it tonight, right? We'll all smell like cutter. You know, like, oh, I got a cut. Ah! You know. 
that Jesus will return and set everything right. But until then, where is the kingdom? It's wherever the loyal subjects to the king are found while they're awaiting the king's return. It's one of the things we've been, why we've talked about. Something happens among the people of God who submit to Jesus' rule. We start to right now experience what it looks like for, for, the, for the world to be ordered right. That, that, that's why, it, you know, Jesus talks about living out the kingdom in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, well, you know what we do? We forgive each other. In fact, before we even go to worship, we're going to make it right with somebody else if we have something, they have something against us or, 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 you know, uh, that we don't call our brother fool, you know, raka. Why? Because that's not kingdom living that, that, that we live from the heart rather than just from the externals. Why? That's kingdom living. That whole sermon is about what it looks like to be reordered in the kingdom. It's why we do things like pray for physical healing for people. Why? Because in the kingdom, everything's set right, including physical bodies. And so we ask God to set things right in the kingdom. But it's just the beautiful rule of God in his people right now that is a witness to the watching world of the coming kingdom. So we can say, seriously, you want to you wanna submit to King Jesus because this is what it's like when you do. Does it make sense? So we've talked about all kinds of issues over the last you know, year of why do we want to address these hard issues, whatever the things are, racism or whatever? Because we want to demonstrate the kingdom to a watching, confused, desperate world. Make sense? But we have to let Jesus change us into it. It's just, it's not just automatic. And so, now here's the question. When we talk about things like government. So because 4th of July, we're celebrating our national, it's a national holiday. It was very gracious that... Uh, one of the leaders in 24-7, Mike Andrea, who's in England, wished us all a happy, happy 4th of July. I was like, they're really thoughtful of you. I've never texted you on George Falk's day. You know, I mean, <laughs> you, you know, if you know what I'm talking about, where they burn an effigy of some guy. I still don't know why they do it, but um, I appreciate that. That was really thoughtful of you. Um, this national holiday in the kingdom, how does the, the kingdom relate to human government? And, and so if right now God's kingdom is where loyal subjects are found. In other words, those who have submitted, submitted to King Jesus. But God's kingdom's not fully yet come, right? In other words, the king hasn't returned. The question is, God's loyal subjects then are, they find themselves living under human government that is not God's kingdom. You say, in other words, the kingdom's only when Jesus is president. And in fact, president's a bad thing because he's not running for office. He's just... The boss, whether you like it or not. God's loyal subjects find themselves in this moment living under human government. That's not God's kingdom. Doesn't mean it's bad, even. There's some really good governmental systems and really bad ones, too. But none of them, however good or bad they are, are God's kingdom. Make sense? If I'm blowing you up right now already, just say the name Jesus quietly to yourself. And I'll say, yes, I'm the boss. I gotcha. So how do God's kingdom subjects, those whose primary loyalty is to King Jesus? Oh, did I, didn't I not say this? Jesus doesn't play well with others when it comes to kingship. At all. Just read, you know, 
the Old Testament and then the New Testament. <laughs> he's just not into it. He's the old, cause why? Cause he loves us. Cause he's the only one who can run this place right. The rest of us trust it. We just mess it up, man. We just mess it up. We are not qualified to run the show. But we do our best till Jesus returns. So what do we do while we await Jesus return? Because we still relate to human government. Well, there's this word exile. That sounds a little intense. Exile. What do you mean by that? Well, exile is, is exa- we got a beautiful explanation of what it means to live under God's rule in exile, awaiting the return through these people, Israel. So around the year 586 BC, Judah, uh, had, well, 721 BC, the northern kingdom, Israel, got thrown into exile. Then 586 BC, uh, the, the Judah and Jerusalem got overthrown. And literally what these guys had to do was leave their homeland lost everything and live in a foreign land. And what they're looking at is they were God's kingdom subjects. They still had the identity of we are God's people. God is our ruler, but they don't have their own government. They're living literally under another government in another land called Babylon. And they're under that rule of a human government, but they're waiting for God to send a king. We read the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. They start to talk about this king that's going to come to establish God's government and bring them home. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a little passage that the prophet Jeremiah wrote to the people in exile. So Jeremiah stayed back in Jerusalem. And God's speaking to him and, and God's saying, Hey, send this message to the guys who are in exile right now. Because I want to teach them how to live in exile. So I'm going to read Jeremiah 21 verse 1 and then the verses 4 through 14. And then we'll just make a few comments and then we'll get to prayer. So, I'll read it out loud. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses... And live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Incidentally, if you look a little bit before this, these prophets here, they're like, a, this is no big deal. It's about to end. It's about to end. It's going to be okay. It's going to, everything's going to be fine. And, and Jeremiah's like, man, that's not true at all. Is that what God's saying? No, listen to him. In fact, he says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, back to Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you'll call on me 
and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So how do we live in exile? This is the first thing where Jeremiah says that God's saying, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. How to live in exile? You seek the welfare of the place you're in. But also, we see this, that at the end of this message, God offers this promise, this look forward to hope. It says, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, to Jerusalem. I will restore your fortunes. You lost everything, but I'm going to restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. By the way, implicit in this is even though another nation is doing this, who is in charge of Israel? God. He says, yeah, these guys think they're running the show. I am using them as a tool to do what I want. I will bring you back to the place from which I set you into exile. Remember, not only do we seek the well for the city, but we remember we're not home yet. There's this sense when you live in exile that you're never quite comfortable where you're at. And that's the way you're supposed to feel. One of the dangers that, that happens in a, in a wonderful nation like the U.S is it's easy to forget that you're in exile. It's dangerous to us because then we're completely surprised when we're like, whoa, this is not like the kingdom of God. And God's like, oh yeah, it never was the kingdom. I, I run the kingdom. That's, that's my job. And to the degree that people submit to my rule, that's the kingdom. Does that make sense? So, we're in exile. How do we live there? We seek the welfare of the city that we're in. Look for it to bless it. Multiply in it. Have kids. In other words, have you ever, have you ever had a job <laughs> that you like didn't want to have that job for a long time? And you notice in, on your desk, you never put any pictures up. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm kind of slow. It took me eight years to put pictures up in my office here. And part of that's just I'm just super lazy. They, 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 they sat on my floor and people were like, your office is depressing, man. I was like, yeah, I know. I, who knows? Maybe I won't work here someday. So, you know, in my dorm room at ORU, never put pictures on the wall. I got to take them down at the end of the year. Why would I do that? You know, so. But, but Jeremiah, God's saying to these guys, no, make a home. Seek the welfare of the city. But at the same time, live in the tension that you're not home yet. This isn't your place. There's a psalm about, you know, that, that we're, the, uh, our captors are saying to us, sing the songs of your homeland while you're in Babylon. Uh, the response is, may, the, may my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth instead of do that. <laughs> I'm not home, man. This is not my home. And so... 
we see in the New Testament, we're given the same kind of instructions as, as we know this very thing. We're in the kingdom of God. The kingdom has come. It's been inaugurated, started by the king himself coming, Jesus, and offering uh, 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 the chance to submit to him. And if you will, make these colonies of heaven right here on earth, colonies of the kingdom. But knowing that we're not home yet, but, but we can see Paul saying, Let's seek the well for the city. First of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. In other words, we can live out a kingdom-shaped life. We're going to pray for our governmental leaders so that we can actually do this and not be in conflict with the government. Paul goes so far. Now, you think about this. Rome was stinky, man. They were stinky. I mean, the way they would let you know, don't rebel against this, is they nail you to boards outside of cities and let you hang there till you die. A little more coercive, you know, than our culture. <laughs> but Paul, even in that, says, let, he's, this is to the Romans. He's, the, the, the Christians in Rome, he says, let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities. And not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Ooh. You just sit on that one a little bit, right? What does it look like to live a kingdom lifestyle even in a governmental system you don't like? Whoa. You've got to assume our king knows what he's doing, right? Okay. I love this. Paul says this. to uh, He writes to the island of Crete. And Titus is a guy on this island again under Roman control. He said... Tell the church, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Isn't that cool? It's the kingdom within another kingdom of this productive life of doing good. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5. You're like a city on a hill or like a light on a lampstand. And don't hide that light. Instead, let your light shine in front of people so that all may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. They might get an idea of what this king who, whose kingdom we're asking to come looks like through our good works. In the culture. So we seek the welfare of the city. And then, but we see in the New Testament also that it's clear that we're not home yet. Ephesians. Paul talks about how we got our citizenship. He's talking to Gentiles who are not part of the nation of Israel. It was easier to be Jewish at the time going, yeah, I'm one of God's people. Um, but now the gospel, the king is being, he's offering his leadership to everybody. Jew and Gentile. So that's confusing to Gentiles and to Jews. 
But Paul says this to the Gentiles. Remember, at, before Jesus, at that, that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's what it looks like to be outside the kingdom. Without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Paul says this to the Colossians. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's with the king in his kingdom. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says it this way. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. If anybody remembers that, that was the original stuff God said to Israel in Exodus. I'm going to make you this. You're God's special possession. Now, Jews and Gentiles that bow the knee to Jesus, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Isn't it encouraging that in the first century, one of the things we already have is this conflict to be in God's kingdom. We're going to have to live differently <laughs> and to live as an exile with the discomfort of saying no to sinful impulses. Even though everyone around you is like, what's the problem? It's just comforting to me that it's it's not the government I'm in, it's not the nation I'm in, it's not the time of history I'm in, it's just the condition we're all in. That there's always going to be this level of, I don't fit here. People think I'm weird because I don't do this or that. And the answer is, yes, I am. I'm under a different kingdom. I have a different king who he actually knows better than I do because it looks like it's fun to stick a fork in your eye, but he's told me it's not the best idea. <laughs> so, how do God's kingdom subjects relate to human government as exiles? The sense that that, that, that we're not at home. It's these two things. How do we live in exile? Seek the welfare of the city. Invest. Be present. Some of us just need to hear that also just at the stage of life you're in. God, I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for the job, the, the spouse, all that kind of thing at the right time. God's always saying, seek the welfare right now. Go after me right now in the condition you're in right now. Trust me, I won't forget my promise. You're not home yet, but I won't forget my promise. Make sense? Okay, this is the lead up. Now we're going to pray. All right. So we're going to I'm just going to lead you through just uh, just through P.R.A.Y. We do this a lot on staff. Um, we, we spend a fair amount of time in prayer and it, we found it to be really helpful where we actually go through each of these movements in a time together. So, we, so we're going to do this. It won't be super long. We'll maybe do it for about 10 minutes. And then then we're going to it's, it's going to be more of an example. 
I think it's something that the Lord may even invite you to repeat this week. Because, oh man, guys. As kingdom subjects, the most active, practical thing we can do to seek the well for the city we're in is to pray. It's specifically what Jeremiah said. Pray for its blessing. If you feel like it's backing away and not engaging, then you don't know what prayer is. Prayer makes activity possible. Does that make sense? I have found, and I trust me, we have proven this. I've been doing church ministry stuff for 17 years. If I jump into just trying to get stuff done, what most of the time happens is I end up tired and unfruitful. It was just minimal. Uh, but if I find that the majority of my time was spent in prayer, the activity I have is leveraged. Like it's way more fruitful. And what's strange about that is Jesus actually instructed us to do that in John 15. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you'll have fruit that remains because I'm the one who brings the fruit. Make sense? So it kills all of our pride that I can get something done and I can prove to everybody I'm actually competent. Like, I, I, there are times when I'm literally at my desk and I feel like the Lord is saying, stop and pray. I'm like, no! I have to prove I'm doing something. They already think I don't have a job. I was praying once and my son, my youngest son, who's like prophetic and can always know right what I'm worried about, says, oh, so you don't do anything all day. You know, it was just, it's it like, yeah. Insecure enough. Don't make it worse. <laughs> All right, enough of that. So we're going to pray because it's the most important thing we can do. And in it, God gives us things to do. And so we're going to pause for a couple, three minutes. Depending on your personality, this is always a funny time for us because half of the staff is like, how long are we going to pause? And usually it's me and John Freer like, oh, I don't know, like two hours or something. Because we just got to feel the Lord. It's going to take a while. <laughs> we talk, And then the people who do get things done, like Anna and Cindy, are like, ugh. <laughs> anyway, it's really good for them. <laughs> Earlier this week, I said, how long are we going to do it? She, she said 13 minutes, Anna. I thought you said 30. I was like, Anna, yes. And she's like, I said 13. <laughs> Isn't that fun? All right, so we're going to pause for a second. And so one of the things I like to do is just get in a comfortable sitting posture because we're, we're beings in bodies. Bodies are part of our being, so you can distract yourself. Might suggest you put your phone face down just for a minute. The president may call, but just tell him I was pausing before King Jesus, okay? All right, so we're going to pause one of the things I noticed, and Roger, Roger preached about this really well last week, about noticing our breath. And he also talked, did anybody do a breath prayer this week? Good. So what I like to do is I'll just take a word like Abba or Jesus and just, it's two syllables, so Abba. You don't have to do any of that. If you think that's too weird in Hindu, then fine, whatever. You can just be stressed out. It's all right. Go ahead. I thought the same thing too till I realized that Jesus actually re recalibrates us. He gave us his eyes. Just, Abba. So we're just going to sit and try to notice your breath, calm yourself down. 
Maybe even just see a picture of Jesus in your mind. And just center on him for just a minute. We're going to pause. This might be quick for some of you, but again, we're just in a little practice session. We're going to shift and to rejoice. And what we're going to do for that is I want you to, just in the quietness of your moment, think of two or three things that you really like about God. And just in the quietness of your moment, tell them. Tell them what you like about Him. Okay, and then we're going to make a shift here, staying and rejoice. But this specifically then, let's give some specific thanks to God for the nation we're in. Some of you, that's going to be easy. Some of us, we've been, just be honest, leveling all kinds of judgments. Might have been time for a little repentance. Of anything that didn't look like seeking the welfare of the city. Words said that weren't sounding like that. Let's just thank the Lord. We can always find something to thank Him for, for the place we're at. 
Give thanks in all things. Please, please don't skip this. Even if you're struggling, please don't skip this. We want to be under King Jesus, okay? Now we're going to shift into asking. We can call it intercession. And maybe some personal things that you need to ask, and don't be afraid of doing that. But I'm specifically going to say, let's make some specific requests to God for our nation. And it's important that we've gone through the process, man, because we want to pray the prayers the Holy Spirit gives us. Jesus talks about John 14 through 17, abiding in him. And then whatever we ask that's according to his will, he will do. So we've got to sync ourselves up with his will. Sometimes we can have judgments in our prayers. I've got to tell you, man, there's some things going on in our nation that are making me very angry. I'll just tell you, they're making me angry. But that's not the intercession of the Spirit. Sometimes there's a fury of God that... But, I find I've got to sit and get the prayers. So let's sit for a minute and whatever prayers rise up, let's pray those. We're just going to do it quietly this morning, but pray those to the Lord. What, what is He hungering at the throne of God for this nation? Romans 8 says Jesus is interceding right now. What's Jesus saying about our nation? Let's pray that.
I know I'm moving quick here, but again, it's just an example. But the last thing we do in this yield moment is super important. Is that the prayers that Jesus gives us to pray are the prayers he answers all on his own. He may ask us to do some stuff, but the initiative comes from him. So when we, when we yield, we relinquish the outcomes to God. What I've prayed, Lord, I relinquish the outcomes to you. He may call you into action. Often he does. But we've got to relinquish it to him first, to the king. Let's do that. Now, I know I didn't get it at the right pace for everybody. We're all different. But what I want to give you here is just a, a, a tool. So if it happens like to you like it does to me, someone forwards a news article with a provocative headline. And I'm like, uh, all right, I'll just see what it's about. And by the end of it, fire and brimstone are coming down fast. Right? Everything's going to hell. And it might be. But what I find to be massively more productive is to pause. Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I need you. These guys didn't know I was going to preach this. How weird is it the whole set of music was about getting focused on Jesus? Matt didn't know I was going to preach this. He said, let's just say Jesus a lot. He recited uh, Matthew 11, which is Jesus saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Here's how he gives us rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you, which is my teaching. That's what a rabbi would say. Take my way of living on you. I'll teach you how to do it. I'm gentle and humble of heart. Take my yoke, and then you'll get rest. Rest isn't just about disengaging. It's not about doing nothing. It's not about binging on Netflix, though that might be the way. It's about living the way of Jesus actually refreshes our being. That means it's a rhythm of activity and rest and all this kind of stuff. But there are kinds of rest we think we need that actually don't rest us. Has anybody noticed that? They just make us more exhausted at the end and more empty. So Jesus, let's say you get that Newsweek article. It comes in. Jesus, I'm just going to pause until I can get back centered in his presence. Then I'm going to talk about my king to him. I'm going to rejoice. You run the world. And I'll think of a few situations. I remember when I was running from you. And I was an idiot. 
And I should have had my life totally shipwrecked by this decision and that one. And you rescued me. And I didn't deserve it. But look at my life now. Oh, if you can rescue me now, you can rescue me anytime. And then, Lord, I'm going to actually be grateful. You've done some really good things in my life, even in this very place. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for America. I'm so grateful for the freedoms I have here. Oh, my goodness. You need to go to other countries to fully appreciate it. To go, there's some unique stuff here. But then it leads me into a session and said, there's some unique stuff here. <laughs> there's some real, real mess. There's some stuff we really need. And it's too easy just to issue judgments, guys. It's too easy. It's too easy. That doesn't help anybody. There's only one judge. His name is Jesus. Could I, the one who received mercy and didn't deserve it, beg for the mercy of God for those things I can notice that don't look like his kingdom and stop getting surprised that a human government is not the kingdom of God? It's just a less stressful way to live, friends. Go, yeah, this isn't the kingdom. But I'm the kingdom person to bring the kingdom right in the middle of the crazy. Where I found God calling me to pray for America was build your church. Build your church, Lord. Let us repent of everything that doesn't look like you so people would see what the kingdom looks like and be jealous for a life you can't have under any other leader than Jesus. Oh, but God, how do I do that? I'm going to yield those outcomes to you. I'm just going to rest. Knowing that you'll call me to arms or you'll call me to shut up. Whatever you need me to do. Okay, we're going to finish with a reaffirmation of our citizenship. You should have found one of these little guys. These, I call them COVID communion cups. <laughs> A little COVID communion. Can you guys believe that we used to dip our stuff all in the same cup? Does that like completely wig you out? What would happen if we tried that right now? I mean, like, wow. And I know, I know that there's people like believe I don't believe in the power of God. And okay, well, you do it at your house. You do it on your street. See how, you, how that goes. I just think this is a good idea. These are hard to, you know, you got to take the top two things and there's a wafer in the middle. If it tastes like plastic, it is. Don't, don't swallow it. But here's what's crazy, guys. Look at this. The scriptures we already looked at, that we were separate from Christ. This is us. We were excluded from citizenship in the people of God. We were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope, with God. But now in Christ Jesus, we, me, Guy Smith, who was far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The death of Jesus that I deserved. What's the natural consequence of being outside the kingdom of life is death. That natural consequence, the king himself took on himself for me. So that we, I could be part of a chosen people. I am. You are. Put your name in here. I'm a royal priesthood. 
I'm in a holy nation. I am God's special possession. He's uniquely fighting for me. That we may declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into light. We were a people. We're not a people. Now we're a people. We used to not belong, but we do now. We, we're living in a culture, uh, an economy of no mercy. Now we get mercy and give mercy. And now, as foreigner exiles, we can live a different way, free of sin. And Jesus, at this very moment, when he instituted this memory, this, 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 this device, this worship thing, said, guys, this cup is a new covenant. We were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, but here's the new covenant in Jesus' blood. So what we get to do, and maybe sometimes we don't think of it, we're going to reaffirm, I'm under King Jesus. I'm in his kingdom. He's my boss. He's my Lord. He's my master. He made it the way in, and I get the benefits of being in it. Sound good? Okay. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you had the courage in a human body to know the pain and the suffering you're about to endure to the degree that you said, Father, if you could change your mind about this, it would be really, really nice. But instead, your will be done. Whatever you want. And that Jesus, you said, let them break my body so that we could be healed. Let them break my body so there can be a way in to the union with God himself and his kingdom. Let's go ahead and take the body together. Say, thank you, Jesus, that you went to the extent of letting the life drain out of your body. That blood flowed from your body till you had nothing left, till you could no longer breathe. But that that blood was, was told, we, we saw a picture of it before, of the Passover lamb being sacrificed so death wouldn't come on your people. The, of the, the, the sacrifice out in front of the presence of God in the tabernacle, in the temple, saying we're not worthy of coming into it, but when the blood is spilled, we can enter in. So thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us of our sins through your blood, that we can be made holy even though we're not on our own, and we can be in the very presence of God, that the veil between the outside and the inside, the most holy place, we can enter because of your blood. Thank you. Let's take the blood. Let's take the cup together. Let's go ahead and stand together. So one thing I do want to remind us is that we're starting on Wednesdays this very prayer thing. Haley Sides is going to help lead us this. There's something about persisting in prayer that matters. Read the book of Luke. What is it? Luke 11. That, you know, just going to an unjust judge, even an unjust judge will eventually hear this lady because she's persistent. And how that works with God, I don't even know, but he says do it. And something about just showing up and praying. It is, is immediately part of the solution. 
Maybe the Lord's calling you. Maybe you're feeling just angst. Come and show up. And sometimes I find with intercessory prayer, it's easier to do with other people than by myself. It's just easier. It's like my face in a different spot. I don't get it. So I want to invite you this Wednesday at noon. We'll have the, the chapel in the front open and just keep it tight, 12 to 1, do some prayer. Okay? I want to pray over you guys as we're sent out, as we're launched out now to be the kingdom presence. Father, we say, along with Jesus, it's a prayer that you gave us, Jesus, so I'm pretty sure it'll get answered. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you that we can trust you to answer the very prayers you gave us to pray. And I ask you, Jesus, to build your church. Build us, Lord. Teach us your ways so that we can live a sane life that's a rested life because it's in the ways of Jesus. Teach us how to live in in the ways of Jesus so that somehow we look and smell like we're under King Jesus and we're not stressed or worried because Jesus is never going to lose his grip on the throne. Lord, we confess, I confess, that my anxiety and fear betrays the fact that I don't trust you and that I don't believe you're the boss of the universe. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. And I receive your joyful forgiveness that you, the way you instruct, you're gentle and humble in heart. You're not shaming us for that. You're forgiving us and saying, let me reshape you. Let me give you another challenge this week that you get a practice once again to trust me. So don't be surprised if you get challenged, guys. He's just training us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great fourth. Love you guys.